Welcome to the Brick and Data Podcast, everyone. We have a great interview for you today from our time at ETL West with Lila and Jeremy Stewart, who are the founders of Hari Mari. We're talking flip-flops today, guys. Flip-flops. We're coming up to flip-flop season, at least for us Northeasters in Boston and New York. Uh, there's no flip-flops happening up here right now, just boots. So, great topic. These guys make a very interesting flip-flop. They look extremely comfortable. I don't own them. But from what I hear, they're awesome. But even cooler is their story, is the background of where they came from, how this started. What does Hari Mari even mean? Well, you're going to find all that stuff out. You'll find out how they started this, some of the cool stuff they're doing from a philanthropic perspective, where they're going outside of flip-flops. So enjoy this interview. Jose was on site, again at Etel West, with Lila and Jeremy Stewart, the founders of Hari Mari. Can you tell us a little bit about Hari Mari? How did you start? Uh, kind of like, uh, let, think of it as the, the, your beginnings. Well, the, the beginnings were very uh, uncertain and circuitous, uh, to, to be sure. So Hari Mari actually started out of politics, out of, out of all things. Oh, wow. I used to be a consultant. Uh, I used to uh, consult in foreign races specifically, uh, where uh, democracy and, and uh, elections were, uh, especially in, in these emerging democracies, were uh, a bit new. And so they obviously looked to uh, America for consultants to help come in and uh, advise on how to run modern media political campaigns. We were the guys that would go in, we'd poll, we'd message test, we'd research, we'd pull all that information together, and then we'd go out and we'd create ads uh, for our candidates. And if we're doing our jobs right, hopefully we'd move the needle. Well, uh, <laughs> somehow I convinced Lila to move to Indonesia with me when we were wow. running a, a race. Uh, fast forward through four years yeah. of that, and uh, we were both a little bit tired of politics. And uh, the, the, the kind of the nail in the coffin, so to speak, was uh, we were traveling in Vietnam uh, during the last week of the last campaign we worked on, and uh, we were having coffee and watching CNN uh, in our hotel room in Hanoi. Sure. And looked up, and terrorists had bombed our favorite restaurant in Jakarta. Oh, my God. And so we, I looked at Lila, and she looked at me. It's one of those unspoken moments where you just yeah. know that it's kind of time. Um, we were fortunate that we had learned through our political uh, experiences that uh, politicians are a lot like consumer goods. You package them, you dress them up, you attach messages to them, and you send them out into the world, sure. and uh, and hopefully they, they do a good job. And uh, we learned that during that our time there, and, and thought, hey, look, let's let's if we're going to get out of this, let's go into something we really enjoy, we're really passionate about. Uh, and oh yeah, by the way, let's make sure that we have a philanthropic back end too, because. Uh, we were both passionate about working with kids in Indonesia, and we knew we wanted to make that uh, a focus of our, our company. So uh, we sold our, our part of the company, moved back to the United States, and we started looking for a product. Uh, and we kept landing on flip-flops for a lot of different reasons, but uh, chief among them is that uh, we enjoyed wearing them. We were avid flip-flop wearers, but we saw a lot of inherent problems um, with what was available, and we thought we could do uh, a better job. So. Um, I got to work knowing what I knew how to do. I started <laughs> focus grouping. I started polling. I started asking friends and family just for feedback. Um, and uh, yeah. and really, I think the, the, the basis of our company, the basis of our brand was really cemented in uh, a series of, of focus groups we did for three days. I just sat behind the glass. I had a friend moderate, just ask questions, uh, gauging opinions and attitudes on flip-flops and sandals, where people bought, how often they bought, what they paid, uh, what they liked and didn't like about them, uh, brands they knew, brands they didn't know, sure. et cetera. And out of those focus groups, 
uh, the responses really formed the foundation for what later become Harimari, and that was that America's on this ever-ceasing trend towards casual. And on the footwear end, sure. uh, running shoes and flip-flops and sandals are the natural recipients of that tailwind. Uh, two, we found that we, while we knew women were up in color, we didn't know if guys were because we didn't see any guys' colorful flip-flops. It was all black and brown and iterations thereof <laughs> on retailers' walls. Right. But we found after presenting some embarrassingly bad crayon drawings in our focus groups, sure. the guys are open to color. just has to be positioned and, and done and executed in the right way. And three, which is probably the most important for our brand, is that we found whether people love flip-flops or they hate flip-flops, everyone has this common loathing for that little piece that goes between your first and second toe. And so we said, okay, if we can have uh, an effect or if we can change or revise or improve each of these areas, we might have something. And that's what began uh, the beginnings of Hari Mari. Wow. And, and if you think that, that, that's fascinating, right, in terms of like, I would not have guessed how it started based on what you said. Most people don't. <laughs> yeah, that, that would... <laughs> But that makes sense in terms of where your actual name comes from Mm -hmm. as a company, Hari, which means of the sun in Indonesian. And Mari, okay, of the sea in Latin. How did Mari come about? It was really more so a a play. Hari made sense, given our time in Indonesia. And um, Mari was more so a fun play on words. It it rhymed. It you know, allowed us to, tie, you know, play a play on words pertaining to flip-flops, but allowing sure. us to tie our history and time spent into the name of the brand. And really, when we were coming up with ideas for names of the company, I look back and some of the options we were considering were terrible. <laughs> so bad. And none of them had anything to do with our, our history and, and why we have our the company and our Flops Fighting Cancer Initiative. And so looking back, and I'm really glad that we chose Hari Mari, and it was also... What was interesting about it is in the focus groups that Jeremy held, he would list out to all of the attendees the names that we were considering. And at the end of it, Hari Mari was the only one they all remembered. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. What were some other names that you considered? Oh, my God. I, they were so bad I've forgotten them. I, I, remember clearly, I remember clearly one was called uh, Osa, which means bear in Spanish, obviously. And, and uh, I don't even know why we were considering it. Um, but I think after some cursory trademark research, we found that Disney owned uh, most of the OSA trademarks. And uh, and so we presented Hari Mari and OSA and maybe three or four others. I think one I remember was Soul Spun. Oh, yeah. Soul so Spun. Bad. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I mean, if you think about it, the, there's well, there's no such yeah. real thing as a bad name. Think of Haagen-Dazs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right? Completely yeah. made up. Uh, yeah. With the umlau. I mean, yep. it's not even a language, which is strange. <laughs> right. But what, once you had the idea, so you talked to us a little bit about the idea, where it came from, the origin, the origin story, if you will. Uh, how, how did you make the jump uh, into design, retail, etc.? Poorly. <laughs> the jump was not a, uh, it was not a flawless jump, let's put it that way. That's uh, a really good, good question. I mean, it, I, I think trans... Uh, the translation between idea and execution is probably one of the hardest parts of this journey, right? Um, we had no background in footwear. Um, really not. I mean, retail either. And retail either, yeah. Uh, and, and no no background in design. Um, we, we I knew advertising, uh, Lila knew sales, and we, um, like I said, started putting together some really bad crayon drawings and, and, and then cutouts. 
Um, in fact, I, I, I pulled, I was cleaning my office a couple of days ago and I pulled out our very first design folder uh, and portfolio for uh, for a few of, of our friends. And I mean, it, it's it's like, it's comedy every time I pull it out because um, the, the designs are so simple and so poorly executed. Um, I was, I was literally laughed out of every factory I, I went to. Um, but yeah, I just I hopped on a plane and uh, I, was, I was comfortable in Asia. I knew that there was a, a, a great uh, production community in, in Asia for sandals and flip-flops. And, uh, and really through Alibaba, in the kind of nascent days of Alibaba, I was sure. contacting factories and just wow. seeing who had interest. And uh, this was in 2010. And uh, I visited 20 factories and just, uh, you know, with minimum order quantities, just trying to find somebody that would work with us and found one that um, I thought at the time was, you know, the, the bee's knees and, and press go <laughs> on, uh, and this is where it gets really funny. Uh, we pressed go on a 25,000 pair order with wow. not a single order uh, back here in the U.S. to offset that. Wow. And so we were, we were the definition of... Uh, your, your entrepreneur with irrational exuberance for their product. We thought we just had kind of the answer. And, um, and so um, yeah, I, I traveled to China. I sat on the, the, the production line for 10 days while every pair went by. And um, I would take pairs off the, the conveyor belt that didn't meet our standards and uh, didn't think would sell and put them in a, a box next to me. And uh, at the end of 10 days, I, I, looked, I took Lila's brother with me and I, I looked at him after that whole time and um, I said, you know, this is a lot of hard work, but glad we really did that. We saved ourselves all this time. <laughs> and then fast forward six months when we actually received the, the product, all those pairs we'd pulled off found their way back into our order. And we had something like 40% of our first order was completely unsellable. Total scrap. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's fascinating, right? Because if you think about often innovators in any given industry often are not from that industry generally like so for example uh you'll have the guys i'll say guys from orby parker uh, they were not eyeglass designers or manufacturers right or if you take uh, another company uh, ministry of, of supply uh we had him on, on our show uh Amar, a few about a, a little bit over a year ago uh not an apparel guy, an engineer, if you will, by training. But he was in love with, along with his co-founders, of passionate about finding a way to create a fiber. It was a personal pain point. He, he, he wanted to remove sweat stains from shirts and have something become more, something more comfortable that could be used. And in your case, it was just a passion for a culture, lifestyle, perhaps, that put, put it all together. And a lot of times, it's just that passion that brings things about. In, in addition to that, I'd say that we had, there were brands that we'd worn for years. And um, in addition to the, the passion to want to Jeremy get out of politics and, <laughs> and we'd move back to the, the U.S. and needed something to do something that had a cause. But really, we felt that there hadn't been much innovation in the flip-flop space in years. And so we were determined, in addition to those things, to really focus on comfort and um, minimalizing and if not removing breaking periods and that's kind of where our obsession began ah. and still lies too and always will on on product so I mean not to speak for everybody and obviously we're a little bit biased but we're really proud of the fact that a lot of our, our most of our product you put it on and it's comfortable out of the box so and in addition to that um, 
out of those focus groups that, that, that Jeremy held, um, really listened to consumers and what they were saying they did and didn't like about flip-flops. And while that sounds simple because it's just a flip-flop, but out of that, did we talk about the patent on the topies? We did. Yeah, so we have this patent now on our topies that um, it's, a, it's a big differentiator in the market. So. And, and so just continuing with that idea, how, how did... Uh, how did you take the focus group information and translate it into comfort? Or and what features did you look for? And what what makes uh, your flip flop different from any other competitor? For that fact, you open the window. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, I, I think that the part of part of what we were trying to do was was step outside of ourselves. There, there's so much information that, that you bring to a, uh, the table in a biased way when you approach, I think, a new idea or a new product or business. And, and while a lot of those are valid, uh, I, I think that to be able to create a, a sustaining business, you have to incorporate ideas of others. And um, so to be able to focus group, so we focus group 100 people ages 18 to 34. And um, in all the feedback, we were taking uh, tons of notes, uh, recorded everything, played it back, and then we kind of distilled all that information down into kind of four to five key salient takeaways, uh, and especially on the comfort end. So it was the break-in period, the kind of two-week to four-week break-in period, the war on your toes that most people dislike. Sure. Um, that was a key point for us to, to basically change or alter. Sure. Um, but then also to make them just more comfortable in general, an all-day footwear option. Uh, whereas I feel like a, a lot of the product that was out there then that's out there now is mostly out there for you know uh, three to four hours of wear, and then you kick them off for something a little more elevated. And so um, so we were m- maniacally focused on on solving that that pain point. And so we hired a um, uh, a, a developer, a, a, an engineer who used to work for the sandal brand Teva. And uh, he designed a little memory foam encased toe-piece. And uh, we incorporated it from our, our flip-flops from day one and have, have since filed patent for it and received a patent for it. And, uh, and really, it's like I said, it's our, it's our calling card as a brand. It's really what allowed us to, to gain um, uh, a toehold, for, for you know, lack of a better uh, term, uh, in, in the market. So being able to just attack one comfort point and, and do it very well was something we were uh, very focused on. Um, but it, but it kind of again, I, I feel like there was also this shift that we learned about in the focus groups to uh, conscious consumerism. We saw um, a lot of brands were putting out very inexpensive flip flops, but they would often either break or be thrown away multiple times a year. And the, so the model there was buy cheaply, replace often. And we heard back, especially from a, a lot of the, the younger audience members, that they really wanted to, they were willing to spend more. Right. For something that lasted, and that was of greater interest to them than spending cheaply and replacing often, and so we really heard that loud and clear, and and invested a lot of time into making sure we were sourcing great materials that we were, we found a factory <laughs> outside of our first experience. I found a factory <laughs> since that uh, that had uh, great construction quality, and then yeah. uh, marrying that with our comfort components and our color story. Um, we're able to produce flip-flops that have a very long wear life. And so that was a, a, another large uh, and important point for us when we first started out, just thinking about strategically, yeah. how are we, what are we bringing new to the table? We always joke that it's, you know, it, this is a 5,000-year-old product category. So, <laughs> what, so what are you doing to, to bring innovation to it? So those are a few of the things that we started off with to, to really uh, gain a total. 
Well, and, and then picking up a little bit about uh, talking about your customers, um, you said they range from 18 to 70-something or so. But it, it, would you say your customer, the core, is a millennial or, mm-hmm. or is it perhaps a boomer, Gen Xer, Gen Z? I think it's all of the above. But primarily, I'd probably put it in the millennial category, for sure. Just the colors um, speak a lot to it, along with our Flops Fighting Cancer initiative, I think, which resonates quite a bit with a younger demographic, for sure. Which is interesting, right? Because I, I think that that, uh, that is a very interesting demographic overall mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if you think of a lot of D2C companies, uh, whether it's on purpose mm-hmm. or not, that's usually the demographic that helps them grow, like Away, mm-hmm. is, or as I mentioned, Warby, Ministry of Supply, mm-hmm. which is now Ministry, any company that one can think of, or in your case, right, it's a millennial customer. And how would you say that your customer, uh, how do you find that customer? Like what, what do they, in your focus groups or in your stores? or? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating question because one of the things we actually looked at when we were starting the company is we were looking at the, the growth of the industry of, of flip-flops and sandals. And one of the more interesting points that we found and, and unearthed was that the growth story, whilst while flip-flops and sandals started on the coast and, and, and it was born out of the surf culture, the real growth story behind flip-flops and sandals now is mostly in landlocked cities and states. Uh, and most of that's in the south and southeast. And um, what we found just from that, that, that key piece of data was that uh, if you look at the way that most of the flip-flop companies um, talk to their customers, their sure. potential customers, that it's all um, usually done through surf aesthetic or beach aesthetic or, or water sports. And we said, look, let's, we could either jump on that, that bandwagon or we could do what we're doing with the rest of our, with our product, with our, uh, our market strategy, with our um, distribution strategy, and we can kind of flip the script and swim sure. against the, 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 the current. And so um, we started forming uh, basically a visual narrative that centered around what do people do on the weekends when they don't live on the coast. And it's not to alienate people who are in the surf community or, or in uh, water sports, but we just wanted to be able to tie directly and resonate uh, directly with those, those core customers. And I think that born out over seven years now, it's, it was an interesting, an interesting angle to take uh, and one that's probably way riskier than we realized at the time. But if you look at our top demographic cities by, by purchase right now on, uh, on DDC, it's no surprisingly, it's our, our three main Texas cities of Dallas, Austin, Houston, uh, because we're based in Dallas, but it's also, um, uh, followed by New York, Chicago, Atlanta, Charlotte, um, all these, these very, well, I said New York, very landlocked cities that, um, you know, you wouldn't probably think of as being <laughs> flip-flop wearing capitals, sure. uh, right out of the box. So it's, uh, it's a fascinating uh, study and, and just, uh, maybe what the market was ready for and presenting a product that perhaps hit and checked some of those boxes. Right, which which is awesome because if you think about it, it's the lifestyle, right? Right. So I wear Patagonia, but I'm not a mountain climber. Right, exactly. It's the idea of. Exactly. Or maybe it's because I read National Geographic for 20 years from 8 years old on. Exactly. They kind of put that into my head that you should love the outdoors, but the truth is as much as I say I love the outdoors, I maybe spend five of my five percent of my time really on a mountain or on a hike. I'd like to think I do, but I, I don't. But it's the whole lifestyle component that I think. You're exactly is right. Crucial. And, and that was another unintended 
um, say consequence. It was another unintended uh, success point for our brand. We didn't realize that at the time, but we were starting the beginnings of a lifestyle brand sure. and not necessarily a flip-flop and sandal brand. And that immediately out of the gates allowed us to, on the wholesale side, pursue a lot of stores that I don't think you'd normally associate with flip-flops, whether it be uh, running, yoga, uh, outdoor, and, and surf, but also big and small box boutiques. Yeah. Um, it, all of them. We can we can hit all those um, because we're coming from that angle, not from a pure coastal surf angle. Sure. And and now you have a chip in some of your flip flops. Uh, what kind of data are you collecting there? Go ahead. Uh, so we're beta testing right now a, a near field communications chip, um, and it doesn't collect any data at, at current. But the reason why we are testing it is because we've always looked for a way to talk to our customers who purchase at wholesale. So if somebody goes to one of our retailers, they make the purchase, and then we're often left uh, without having that conversation sure. after they make that purchase. Whereas in our D2C business, we can readily uh, initiate that conversation uh, if our customers choose to. So uh, with the NFC chip uh, in this beta program, we're looking to basically extend that that brand and customer interaction beyond the store. And for that, uh, customers, it's proximity-based, so yeah. customers will put their phones up to our flip-flops that have the chip, it will ping them, uh, ask them to, for their allowance to, to download our, an app, and what we're finding is that um, it's a great way to communicate, but now we should have to uh, increase the, uh, the wherewithal of the chip and actually give customers a relevant reason to be able to to use and to download it because uh, I think for us, uh, while it's a great idea for companies to be able to continue that conversation, it's not a conversation that customers always want to have. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so you got to make sure that you're you're providing compelling a compelling argument or compelling reason uh, to continue that 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 point of interaction. It was also really appealing <clears throat> to us because currently about fifty percent of our business comes from wholesale. And so not only do we want to be able to connect with that consumer, but you also don't know sometimes how your brand is presented at wholesale or if your story is being told, sure. how it's being told. So it was really appealing. Uh, we can do that on our website. and We can do it on right. our social media, right? So if those purchases are coming from our website, I feel like that consumer is getting a little better idea of who, what Harimari is all about, but maybe not so as, as much on the wholesale side. So it's a really, really appealing task to see, hey, can, can we use this facility to – Get to not only we get to know our customers a little, little bit better, but have them get to know Hari Mari better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that look, I think I think that there's a lot of uh, ways to connect with the customer, understand the customer, mm -hmm. and uh, we with that, I think you've gleaned a lot of learnings in last, these last few years. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you're also going in. Uh, I would wouldn't say a, let's say you're evolving a little bit more in the direction with shoes. Mm -hmm. So could you talk to us a little bit about the, the SHU initiative? Yeah, we've, we've thought about it for a long time. So this is, I think even before we started the company, we wanted to get into shoes. Um, we wanted to do so because uh, we really see ourselves as a lifestyle brand, but we wanted to make sure that we were giving each product time to breathe and to get there. One of, uh, one of the biggest mistakes I, I think I see um, among new brands, nascent brands, sure. is they, they launch with one product that they base their brand in, but then they spread too quickly to many other products and maybe uh, do so kind of in a, in a mediocre way. And so um, uh, we want to be really good uh, at making flip-flops. We want to make a great flip-flop first and foremost. 
And our belief is that if we are able to attract customers and, and fans of the brand through that, that we can extend into other product categories, be able to R&D it, be able to construct it in a way that meets the, our quality standards for, for flip-flops and thus continue to grow uh, a, a lifestyle portfolio from there. But, um, but it just took a long time to, to be happy with what we were producing or what we could produce on the closed toe end. So um, you'll see uh, some of the materials you have before you that uh, we are, uh, we're proud to launch uh, uh, two boots and a, a retro running shoe wow. this spring. And for us, as you said, the first time we've ever uh, <clears throat> been in a, a closed toe uh, footwear. Uh, and so uh, we think that there's a memory foam story that extends from our flip-flops into closed toe footwear comfort, uh, color, uh, but then also constructed at a premium level. And so we're excited to, to, to launch that and, and to really um, you know, take this next step uh, for us as a brand into that, into that new product category. Great. Well, we're at the end of our time, but before we, we, we leave, is, is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners, anything you'd like to share with them? Anything you'd like to cover? I'd love to elaborate on our Pops Fine Cancer mission. Absolutely, please. Okay. So we donate a percentage of our sales to kids who are battling pediatric cancer here in the U.S. Um, pediatric cancer is the most fatal disease of all childhood diseases combined. And sadly, one in every 400 children will be diagnosed with cancer before the age of 21 here in the United States. It all goes back to our time spent in Indonesia with um, while Jeremy was working on the campaign, I was working for the American Women's Association, helping kids in and out of orphanages, and just had this combined kind of thirst and, and spirit to want to continue that, but do it here in the U.S. and be most effective with it. So we're really proud of it. Great. That, 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 that's important, right? Uh, something that you believe in, which is also part of the brand DNA, if you will. 100%. And, and we donate a uh, portion of those sales are specifically earmarked for... Uh, families and, and children who can't afford uh, to pay for the treatments, um, and so we support a lot of oncology and hemat uh, pediatric oncology and hematology centers that that do treat those families regardless of their financial uh, standing and, and, and wherewithal to pay. Um, so yeah, we, we'd encourage your your listeners to uh, to take the Pepsi challenge with a pair of Harimari flip flops on harimari.com and uh, give them a run for themselves.